0: Welcome to Shotgun Story, the podcast that has conversations with indie creators about music, meaning, and the point of it all, so that you may be inspired by the journeys of other artists who are doing it for themselves and maybe gain a little more understanding as to why it matters quite so much that you keep creating. Sito is a rock performer, songwriter, producer, music director, part-time actor, and newly launched Coffee Mogul. Best known as the lead singer of Wonabur. He's in studio here with me today. Hello. Hi. This is so exciting, and I'm gonna try not to fango.
1: Okay, cool. And I'll try not to um ramble on.
0: No, you you can.
1: I have a bad tendency to just like go off on tangents And then you've only asked me like one question And then it's the end of the interview So
0: Because you just answered everything I was about to ask
1: No, because you just couldn't shut me up And I've had too much coffee <laughs>
0: <laughs> So obviously you're a coffee fan If you have now, you have your own brand of coffee mm. What do you call it? We start right there
1: The brand is called Cito 1974
0: Okay, is that the year you were born?
1: That's the year I was born no? It's also my uh, social media handle.
2: Oh, that's on very all, smart. On all, the,
1: all the platforms. Ugh, it's just keeping it simple, and also nobody else would name their coffee brand that. So just claiming it. It's it's more um, uh, functional than it is poetic. I was raised on coffee, so as a toddler, the age of I suppose two or three, I would have coffee in my bottle m- with milk, obviously. Yeah. It's more like coffee-flavoured milk. (laughs) But uh, that's when my journey started. And then at about the age of uh, 15 or so, I decided to uh, take the milk out of the coffee and just have it black.
0: And it's been like that ever since. Yeah. Your coffee journey began early. Did your musical journey begin as early?
1: Yeah. It started when I was born, really. Um, Both of my parents are musical. And because of my Christian upbringing... Uh, I was surrounded by praise and worship, and my mom sings beautifully, and she plays Spanish guitar and accordion. So there's a lot of the sort of Puerto Rican folk style, traditional style of songs um that I was raised with. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father has a sort of German-American background, and he plays piano and organ, and he used to play at the church where he was a uh, minister and he still plays i mean he his is more sort of classical background and of course hymns you know traditional church hymns and all of that so it was always in in my family all of my siblings we can all sing and some can play instruments um, and we harmonize and you know that it's like a natural thing but right. um when i decided to um take up an instrument properly I'd obviously dabbled on guitar with my mom's Spanish guitar, but bass guitar was my first uh serious instrument that I took on and took lessons and that kind of a thing. Um And I was about 15 or so. And what prompted me to take up the bass, uh I had a group of friends back at school who started a band and I wanted to join them. And like two of them played guitar, one of them played drums. And I was like, okay, well, I'll play bass. And I started on a keytar. Yeah. <laughs> so I was playing keys as bass, and then I got my own basses from then, you know, my bass. It's actually my favorite instrument of okay. all the instruments, the bass guitar. When I think of, you know, songs, when, when the inspiration comes, it's usually with bass lines. Mm-hmm. And I accompany that with nose boxing, which my wife laughs at because I'll be standing in the kitchen making coffee going, <laughs> 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 You know, that oh, kind yes. of a thing.
2: That's wonderful. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's not very pretty, but it uh, sounds cool.
0: So that's kind of your songwriting process, I guess. Yeah. And from there, songwriting wise?
1: Songwriting wise, I'll, I have my phone with me all the time. So voice notes have got all of these weird, I must actually release something and with it. But anyway, uh, I'll, Go into my studio and I'll listen back to my voice notes and get the bass line down, get the beats down, tempo and that kind of a thing. And then I start building from there, looking for chords or melodies. Sometimes melodies come out first, Mm. but sometimes they're also harmony lines. This one song I wrote for Blood Honey started as a weird kind of counterpoint. It was just a melody that came to my head. That I thought initially was a melody, but mm. it ended up being a counter melody or a sort of harmony for a chorus. Yeah. And, uh, and I build around that, you know. But bass lines come to me quite naturally. It's my passion.
0: When do the lyrics come?
1: Usually later. Every now and then, in a blue moon, the vocal lyric will come through in a sort of poem form or, or like just a line. And then I'll build from that it's very rare. Mm. I wrote a song called hell a couple of years back while my wife was having a bath. And when she came out, it was done with the guitar and lyrics and everything. Yeah. But it was just a moment of divine inspiration, which doesn't happen that often. <laughs> it doesn't. No. No.
0: So now your current relationship with music, is mm. it full time? Is it part time? Or is it complicated? <laughs>
1: It is full-time because my day job is also Mm music-related. Well, my day job, you know, quotation marks. It has been for about, I would say, the past sort of 20 years. I've obviously uh, branched out into different forms of music, like musical theater, uh, taken the sort of more engineer route, like recording other artists and bands and then producing as well um teaching i used to teach but now it's pretty much a music direction for corporate events which i've been doing for about 10 years okay and then the performing side of things and i've got four projects musical projects uh Boom is obviously the, the the most well-known and busy yeah. one um i've also got a spanish outfit called el cantante
0: oh i have heard amazing things about that project
1: yeah it's pretty cool I get to revisit my, my roots, you know. We've released an album called Recuerdos del Alma. Mm-hmm. It's a trio. So El Cantante is, uh, me on, on vocals and rhythm guitar and Martin Rocker from Warner yeah. on lead guitar and Rion von Rensburg from Boo and uh, so many projects he's been involved <laughs> with, but he's the percussionist extraordinaire. And yeah, we've got a really cool rootsy sound. Um, that's quite cool. The other one is Absinthe, which is a, well, it's almost a 20 year project that I, it hasn't been that busy, but it's an indulgent project that I've got with Paul E. Flynn, lead singer of Sugar Drive. Yeah. And where we do, you know, covers by bands and artists that we, that have influenced us. Wonderful. Um And it's all acoustic. Well, it has been up until now. And our harmonies, like he's, his voice and mine really complement each other. And our styles, you yeah. know. So, and our, even our guitaring styles. You know, he he has this really cool, you know, um rhythm and lead style and, on acoustic. And I've got like this picking kind of style and yeah. bass. So, it's a really cool combo. And every now and then we'll have the novelty gig or tour uh, whenever he feels like it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's absinthe. And then... Uh, my latest project, which is uh, Blood Honey, yeah. which started off as a solo project, uh, it's something that I've been, I suppose, tinkering with for years, and finally got off my ass and turned it into something. And that's become a bit of a very creative sort of passion project that just sort of addresses my dark side. Yeah, I really am quite adamant to make sure that the uh, projects, the different projects don't sound like each other at all. Mm-hmm. So otherwise there's no point, you know, I mean, Warner Boom in itself is quite a diverse band. I mean, we're a rock band, but we obviously, um, because we've been going for 27 years, we've just got this long List of genres that we've sort of embraced and and appreciate, you know, and that's been influencing our songwriting and and all of that for years.
0: That longevity is incredible. The music industry, we know, is hard. We know that it's particularly hard in South Africa, and people go for a certain amount of time, and they're like, okay, if I don't make it by this time, I'm going to quit and I'm going to do something else. Mm. But it's so nice to hear of the, that you, that you never quit. You you never quit?
1: No, we've never quit. No.
0: It's amazing. Thanks. How do you maintain the energy and the inspiration and the positivity when things can feel kind of tough on the scene?
1: I suppose everybody's got their own unique journey, but the reasons to feel despondent have been there forever. Just yeah. because of, you know, when you're not flavor of the month and all of a sudden there's a new musical style that everybody's into and then you just feel like you're the odd one out and uh you know that's been happening since we started i mean when we started the rave scene kicked in yeah <laughs> oh dear. and um while we were trying to like find our sound and ourselves um i mean our story is as, as Boom is so long but that's like another podcast altogether but <laughs> when we started off um we started on a high and then because we had fused two bands and we started off with this kick-ass tour opening for uh, Simple Minds around the country. Wow. And then from there, it was just downhill. We still had to discover ourselves and each other and find our way and our sounds and everything else. And anyway, so when we started, the rave scene really kicked in and there was moments where they would try to fuse. There was, there was in fact, a rave called Ice Fusion or whatever, where they try to incorporate rock bands and dance music and because of the the nature of the rave scene you know where it's it's kind of like self-love obviously very um recreationally induced um (laughs) experience you Mm -hmm. know everybody wants to be where everybody's at and it's all about self-love and it's non-demanding you're not like staring at the dj watching him do nothing (laughs) it's all about that experience versus going to see rock bands on stage it just it was just ill timing you know yeah. but you know we got through it and so my point is that you know all of these reasons to give up and try something else have popped up since we started as a band but for me and i've had various jobs to sort of sustain myself mm. and lots of moments where i wasn't sustaining myself you know lots of uh stress and frustration and it only took me, I think, I think um about 15 years ago that I sort of started to get my my life balance right. Yeah. And I think to answer your question on how I took the pressure off relying on music for my income. Yeah. It's something that many musicians make the mistake in doing and they could be so talented and I've seen so many great bands just come and go because They weren't as successful anymore, or they weren't flavor of the month anymore. And that's not why I do music. I do music because it's just something I can't escape. It's just something that's part of me. It's not result-driven. It's just just who I am. So to be able to make money out of it now is a blessing. That's the only way I see it. It just takes lots of time and dedication, you know.
0: That's wonderful. That's a great answer (laughs) (laughs) and useful.
1: Well, I hope so. You know, I've been approached by so many people up until this day, you know, just asking me for advice and how do you do it? And, you know, I want to give up everything and, and become a musician. And it's for me, like, try to look after, try to split up your life into different sort of categories so that you can not put that pressure on because it can also stifle your cre- your creativity yeah. you know you start writing songs for the playlist or for radio and once you start going down that route then you're not being true to to your calling as a musician having said that you know I haven't got millions of streams i'm just doing what i'm doing and i'm loving it releasing music and making sure that everything that i release i'm happy with yeah yeah there's no deadlines of like we got to release you know x amount of songs by this time i mean there is you have to set some kind of goals when you have some body of work but i've taken that pressure off music a, a long time ago
0: yeah now you mentioned the simple minds tour mm. which is incredible three to five highlights of your musical career so far
1: opening for simple minds was quite a mindfuck because that was in 95 before we became born Boom. we were called the electric pedal groove machine and our first gig was at Wings Beat Bar. Our second gig was at the, the Dolly Tambo People of the South show. And then our third gig was opening for Simple Minds at King Park Stadium in front of 15,000 people.
0: I just got goosebumps <laughs> down my whole body.
1: There's so many sub stories about that tour and, you know, that actual gig. Danny, our drummer, at the time, founding member, He's written a whole book about all of our experiences. So we've always joked about the Warner Bohm story book, you know, that it has to be written and all that. And he's finally done it. It's yeah. mo- more about his life and, and quite embellished. But a lot of the funny stories are in that book. So if you want to know more about our stories, check out Danny's book. It's called Sex, Drums and Rock and Roll. In Africa. Wonderful. So that's the one highlight. Uh, the second highlight would still be a Warner story where I think eight years into our existence at the time, it just felt like we were together for a lifetime. Again, not flavor of the month. Um, all of these cool bands were kicking ass at the time. And we entered a Battle of the Bands competition called the, the Global Battle of the Bands, which meant that the winning band from South Africa would represent South Africa at the London Astoria competing against another 13 bands or something like that, all of those legs were so tight and a lot of established bands entered as well. I had to convince the guys to enter the competition because they're like, it's a battle of the bands, it's it's for up-and-coming bands, it's not for established bands. One of the members said, and I'm not going to say who, he's like, if I was a judge, I would vote against you know, us. And I'm like, why? Why would you do that? If you're a good band, then you're a good band. And what kind of thinking is that? Like, do you not believe that you're in the best band in the world? Mm. And when I said that, he agreed. And he was like, okay, cool. So we all agreed. And and it was tough. We were up against some really kick-ass bands at the time. Um, it was also when New Metal was rocking and we were like something else. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, needless to say, we won the South African leg. And so my highlight was at the final when they announced our name and we ran up onto stage, we were like four little boys crying with joy, holding onto each other, falling over, like just the look in each other's faces. You know, I'll never forget that. Yeah. It was just a really beautiful moment for me. <laughs> we went on to perform at the Londoner story at the final and we came second. Wow! To a band who came first, called second.
0: <laughs> I wonder where second are now.
1: I looked; they're nowhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so uh, I mean, there's so many stories attached to that. But so that's the second highlight. Third highlight, I suppose, would be uh, maybe auditioning for Jesus Christ Superstar. Mm-hmm. Long story. They were struggling to find a Jesus and a friend of mine asked if I would be interested. And I'd never done musical theater, like since high school kind of a thing, you know, I was like in the local play, Greece or something. And I prepared the night before with like a third of um, the sort of big Jesus song called Gethsemane, Mm. where he has this one-on-one with God, his father. And I'd never done auditions or anything like that. So... Being at Peter Turin's theater with the piano player, music director, and then Peter Turin, and they were filming my audition. And up until that point, I regarded myself as a pretty competent front man because I'd, you know, wiggle my tush and like have the confidence on stage. Yeah. But my voice, you know, I never did any proper training. Um, I would lose my voice after like three songs. It's all sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I never really regarded my voice as a, I never respected my voice yeah. or, you know, took it seriously. And that day in the, in, in the theater, um, I, so magic happened because it was without a microphone. It was just like sort of. Acoustically with the piano, and I would do the song, and as I'm singing, and everything just felt right, and what I was singing felt right, and I I was doing things with my voice that I'd never done before, um, that sounded good and felt good. Uh, it was just the right range for me, the right key for me, um, and then the music director would throw other songs at me that I hadn't even prepared or heard in my life, and I would just try them out and it just happened, you know, just re- reading the, the sheet music and just giving it a bash. And yeah, I, I realized that there was something more to my voice uh, that day, so that was quite a highlight for me. And then we I ended up doing uh, Jesus Christ Superstar in 2006 in South Africa, and then we toured it to Greece and to South Korea. Oh. And then we revisited it in South Africa at the Teatro and, and Artscape in 2011. So that was a highlight for me. Mm. Um uh, sounds like I'm bragging, but I am. <laughs> no. Um
0: That's why I ask you these questions. I want yeah, you to brag.
1: Okay, well I, I I'm funny about that. I'm sorry if I'm boring you guys. You can skip forward if you want.
0: <laughs> Don't skip forward.
1: <laughs> and then I suppose from there uh Wunderboom again, we um in twenty seventeen. Yeah, 2017, we were asked by a really cool uh, promoter, record industry guy, Adrian Skiro, if we'd be interested in going to China to represent South Africa at a indie music festival, mm. and in Chengdu, and we're like, yeah, cool, why not? You know, we're all up for opportunities. We went through. At first, it was just to perform there, and then it like it turned out to be a competition. So all these countries are sending bands from around the world to compete, and there was about 17 bands from all over the world, from the States to Russia to lots of European bands, obviously Asian bands. And, yeah, we performed there. It was like such a surreal experience. It was like in the middle of winter in like a big, massive circus marquee great production and everything else you know, very Chinese state controlled police, you know, that kind of vibe mm. and uh yeah, we won that one, we won the band
0: <laughs> amazing. <laughs> for
1: that kind of battle of the bands, we won gold and that was a, it was a very surreal, wonderful experience and yeah, I suppose we still, I mean, opening for Guns N' Roses in 2018, that was quite cool we had 60,000 people in front of us yeah. and we didn't fuck up what a win our uh, our preferred engineer late great Faris Smith did such a killer job on our sound that to this day we're getting compliments we sounded better than Guns N' Roses
0: I heard that actually
1: yeah so that was a that was a major highlight for for me you know I'm sure there's plenty others that I'm forgetting about but
0: yeah I mean those are some pretty awesome highlights for you. yeah they're okay okay so what struck me there was, besides the amazing highlights, mm. was at one point you disrespected your voice, right? But it has lasted this long, which means that you stopped disrespecting it. What do you do to keep your voice healthy?
1: I'm naturally a lazy person. Uh, but when it comes to like big shows coming up, tours, that kind of a thing, I learned a lot from musical theater with regards to warming up. It's a must. It's just one of those things that you have to do. If you're not singing that often, if I'm not singing that often, like it's like um sort of sporadic kind of events or performances or whatever, I have to warm up. Yeah. If I'm gigging quite often, then I just do a short warm-up. Mm. Warming up is a big thing. Scales, like these ridiculous sounding.
2: Bella signora.
1: Um, younger, 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 younger. You know, you just sound like an idiot. But it's to um, activate different elements of your, you know, anatomy. Yeah. And it's all about warming them. It's just like an athlete. You know, you don't just get on the track and just run. Yeah. You, know? you have to like stretch and warm up and get yourself into a rhythm, into a momentum, build up muscle. It's just like a muscle, you know. And that's that's the one thing. Uh, the other thing is. Avoid setting yourself up for failure physiologically. So, too much alcohol is not a good idea before you perform. You know, keeping yourself hydrated before you perform um, is a is a big mm-hmm. big must. Uh, I know a lot of guys for confidence people for confidence like to have a, a drink or two, which is okay. But it does inflame your cords and it dries you out. Mm-hmm. So that's not great. Sleep. Try not to, you know, have too much of an all-nighter the night before. And then during the day leading up to the gig, avoid talking too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, whispering is a no-no, especially if you're sick and stuff like that. People usually think, okay, I'm just going to do this. And it's the worst thing to do for your voice. All of these things I've learned from uh, musical theater training. Because yeah. before every show you have a half-hour warm-up, a vocal warm-up, and then a, a physical warm-up. And uh, so I learned a lot about the discipline, and I got into that. I think uh, routine is a good thing in, mm. in that respect, you know. And then, yeah, I mean, if you're doing it often enough, then it's already part of your, you know, it's already part of your system. So just a quick little warm up before you you go on stage, mm. then you know it helps. And then it, you know, once your voice is cool, then everything else, you know, should be cool. You know.
0: Yeah. Wonderful.
1: Did, you, did I answer a question? You did? Yes. You did. Yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> so I have this tendency of going off on tangents and then I'm like, ah, oh, shit. What was the original question? Okay, so I'm still on track. Cool.
0: Very much so. Okay, so you gave a little bit of advice, No, no, mm. which was great. What would you tell your 15-year-old self? Something you've learned through your career.
1: <laughs> you were right. No. Um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I would advise anything because I wouldn't be who I am now if I didn't go through all my different experiences, you know. Mm -hmm. Maybe lay off certain drugs or take a piano, like properly. When I was about seven, I went to piano lessons Mm -hmm. and I fell in love with my piano teacher, beautiful lady. Her name is uh, Ms. Luell. Mm -hmm. And then she got engaged and got married and I lost interest in, in piano. And I mm. told my dad that I wasn't interested in piano. He's wasting his money. So he's like, okay, well, thank you for telling me. And then I stopped going to piano lessons. Mm. Um, my dad and my mom have always been supportive of, of whatever I did. My mom a bit scared of, of the sort of worldly, sinful you know influences in my life. Yeah. My dad's always been supportive. But I kind of wish that one time he had just been a hard-ass, disciplinarian and said no stick to your piano because he's always, he always dreamt of me being a concert pianist yeah. and now i'm like relearning you know because of all my songwriting and all of that stuff so yeah i would say finish school study music theory and piano wonderful yeah that's what i would say
0: so you didn't study music theory hey are you only doing it now
1: yeah i kind of learned through my teacher Mm. Um, the basics of, uh, music notation and then just reading up. And then when I eventually was teaching Mm. guitar, I had to kind of sort of crash course on, on theory. So I was teaching primary and high school students a bit of theory. And, uh, so I kind of learned then I'm still not a hundred percent on it. I'm still learning as I'm going. Yeah. It definitely would have made my life a lot easier if I had studied it from beginning. Mm then, yeah, I don't know if I'd be the same person now, you know.
0: And have you ever worked with session musos in studio that you've had to then make charts for?
1: Yes. I've had a couple of embarrassing moments where I thought I had done that. That And <laughs> like this one bassist looks at me, it shows that my chart around everybody. He's like, I can't even play these notes. They're like an octave below what I can go. And I'm like,
2: oh. oh. <laughs> oh no.
1: So, yeah, lots of imposter syndrome throughout my life, something that um I've been dealing with, but um I make up for it in other ways.
0: Yeah, I mean, your your career shows that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, no, I'm super impressed by it.
1: <laughs> yeah, so now I just, you know, if I don't have another music director that will make charts for me or if guys can just do their own charts, then that's also great. You mm-hmm. know, there's many ways to skin a cat. But before I got to this... Points in my life, I would like stress and try to do everything myself, and it was just a fuck up because you can't shortcut music theory. You can't shortcut that stuff. So I leave that to the guys that have put in the hard work, and um, and I do it my way.
0: Yeah, South African musical hero, dead or alive.
1: The first name that pops up to me, and I'll just go with it, is Jito Beloy,
0: mm-hmm.
1: bass player and vocalist for Tananas, who for me is the best South African band. In my opinion, mm-hmm. but probably because of uh, the association and nostalgia and, and, you know, but I mean, I still listen back to their recordings and they're just, they were just a, in a world of their own.
0: Yeah.
1: I fangirl a lot with South African bands. Yeah. Um, at the moment, I've got a serious crush on BCUC. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and, um, Sun Mwah experiment.
0: Yeah.
1: And, um, I, a few years ago, I was really fanning hard on, uh, Medicine Boy yeah. and, um, Diamond Thug. So yeah, I've got some real favorites, but, yeah. uh, as far as legend is concerned, obviously, Hugh Masekela was, you know, he was, and Johnny Clegg you know, uh musical heroes for me. Mm-hmm. But Gito Beloy, because of his bass playing and his voice, like the way he used his voice was a big influence in the way I use my voice mm-hmm. and the way I like to experience music. And um very sort of very sort of soul felt. It's not like technique driven. It's like very, very soulful and sweet. He was like one of the few Vocalists that made me feel like it's okay to be gentle and f- and effeminate with your voice, you mm. know? Um, especially in, in the sort of decade of the baritones where rock bands were like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, <laughs> and I suppose, you know, artists like Jeff Buckley and Tom York and all that, you know, made it okay for me to sing in a higher register like I do. Yeah. Um naturally I think physiologically I'm I should be a baritone but because of uh ignorance um and naivety I kind of forced myself to sing in higher ranges so okay. and for doing that for years and years um just singing to whatever the songs the keys of the songs were written in mm. I would just go there and just take a chance yeah. and it kind of made me sort of a little bit more dynamic
0: in that sense it's exciting
1: yeah I mean with Bloodhoney I'm revisiting a lot of my lower register which uh, yeah I mean I I have a real passion for as well
0: and do you sing in the car and what were you listening to on your way over
1: on the way over I was listening to what do I have in my car at the moment I was listening to Foo Fighters not their new album one of the first ones with all the major hits on it, uh, got the name of it. So I was listening to that, just revisiting them. Cause I wasn't a real huge fan. Mm. Um, I was definitely a Nirvana fan, but I have, uh, yeah, lots of admiration for, for that band and Dave Grohl. And I was invited to a listening session of their new album, which blew me away. By the way, it was just, mm. you know, to, to come up with something fresh as a rock band these days is, is a challenge. I reckon, you know, rock is where it's at at the moment on a global level where it's not flavor of the month yeah. for many reasons. Um, and it was, it was quite cool, quite refreshing. You know, it's not just regurgitating what they've been doing.
0: Social media. I only want one link. What is your preferred platform and how do people find you?
1: I like Instagram a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. And you handle is Cito nineteen seventy four. Yes. Where do people find your coffee?
1: It's got its own Instagram page as well, uh, Cito nineteen seventy four underscore coffee. Mm-hmm. Also on Facebook, and I've also got a website which I'm. It's running, but I am rehashing it because I need to do a new pricing structure. Okay. Um, we were selling my coffee on the e store, and part of the condition was that I couldn't be cheaper than e-bucks so i had to include shipping per bag okay. in the price so i want to i'm now sort of shaking that up and changing it but at dot 1974com
0: amazing thank you so much for coming in cool i feel incredibly inspired
1: oh good i'm glad <laughs>
0: If you are an independent artist whose passion for what you do can inspire or fuel others, get in touch. I'd love to chat. You can find me on shotguntory.com.
2: You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts. Teenage soldiers bang, bang, think of enough. Die for my best friend, daydreams over, hey, hey, I'm on the big screen, tell my mama, the favorite son has arrived. You know When you strip it down To the bone Nobody wants to Die alone By the time I get home By the time